You're listening to the Promise Church's message of the week. We are in our series titled, Moving Forward in Our Finances. This week, Pastor Aaron brings us, Do You Have Swag? Part 2. We hope you enjoy this teaching. All right. Why don't you grab your Bibles and uh, turn them to the book of Luke. Turn to the book of Luke, and uh, we are going to continue in our uh, series about moving forward in finances. How many people enjoyed last week? Good. Luke chapter 16 is where we're going to start this morning, and, and our series last week was titled, uh, Do You Have Swag? Do you have swag? Turn your neighbor and ask them, you, you don't put the verse up yet, but ask them, do you have swag? Turn your neighbor, look them in the eye, especially if you're married, and ask them if they got swag. Look them up, you can check them out. You can look at what they chose to wear this morning. Maybe your wife picked out your, your outfit and she will definitely tell you that you got swag this morning. Do you have swag? And swag stands for this. It stands for steward well, accumulate aggressively, and give generously. Steward well, accumulate aggressively, and give generously. And we're talking about moving forward in your finances. Moving forward in your finances. And we believe here at the Promise Church that God wants you to be victorious in your finances. Amen. Amen. And last week we talked about a few different key points of some foundational aspects of finances in the kingdom of God. We talked about how God desires to bless you. He wants to actually bless you. Why? He wants to bless you because he loves you and he wants to bless you because he wants you to be a blessing to others. He wants you to be a blessing to others. In Jeremiah 29:11 it says, "For I know the thoughts that I have towards you plans to prosper you plans to prosper you god desires to make you blessed so that you can be a blessing this is not getting more money this is not about making more money this is about being blessed in more areas than just money but we are talking about specifically in this series finances and we discussed also about how god owns everything he owns the earth and everything within it. He owns it all, which means I'm stewarding my marriage because he owns it. I'm stewarding my children because they're his kids. I'm stewarding my finances because they're his finances. And I'm going to take really, really good care and I'm going to steward really well all the things that he's entrusted me with because they're his. I want to take very good care of that. And then we talked about how the first, while everything is the Lord's, also the first especially belongs to God. We talked about tithing and we talked about being generous and how we need to be people that understand the principle of giving the first and being faithful with the first. And uh, maybe you're in church today and you're thinking, why, why, why did I choose this Sunday? Of all the Sundays to come to church, why did I choose this one? I talked about last week, there's, there's two things we all want. We all want these two things, but we rarely talk about them, sex and money. And you had a 50-50 chance on what we were going to talk about this morning, but it's about money. And God cares a lot about money. He cares a lot about your money, not because he needs it, but he, know, he knows that oftentimes in order to get to your heart, he's got to go through your money. The Bible says that where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And oftentimes the Lord has to get through your money. He has to deal with issues involving your money to get to your heart. 
In fact, Jesus actually spoke about money more than almost anything else in Scripture. There's approximately 500 Scriptures on prayer. There's approximately 500 Scriptures on faith. But there's over 2,000 Scriptures in the Bible on money and possessions. 16 out of the 38 parables were about money or possessions. God wants you to have truth in your life when it comes to how to manage your money, how to make good financial decisions in your life. And too often, it's the thing that we care about the most, it's the thing that God talked about the most, but it's the thing that we talk about the least in church. And we're not gonna continue that. We're gonna change that because we need to be victorious in our life, in our finances, amen? And then one thing we didn't talk about last week is uh, here at the Promise Church, we've got a senior leadership team. We've got multiple senior leaders. In fact, four couples helping lead this church. It's an amazing thing to have plurality in leadership. And uh, because of that, I actually do not work here at the church. I, this is not my day job. I, I've worked as, for the last 10 years as an investment advisor and a financial planner at a firm in Clackamas. And four years ago, I actually became a partner at that firm and have been there working with people for about a decade, learning how to make money, how to save money, how to plan for their, for their future with their finances and make good financial decisions. And one thing that I went through back around five years ago when we became pastors here at the church is, God, do you want me to focus on business or do you want me to focus on ministry? I don't know if I can do both of them, so which one is it? Because surely there's only one that you want me to focus on. And the Lord went through a process with me when he began, doing, began to show me and say, and I've actually asked you to do both. That even though you might not have seen an example of how you can do both at one time, I'm calling you to do both. Why? So you can take what you're learning in business and finance and apply it to ministry. You can begin to take good financial principles and teach others how to use it. And at the same time, take what you've learned in the kingdom of God and apply it to your job. How many people know that we're supposed to live like the light of the world at our job? That you're not meant to be silent, you're meant to be loud voice to the world saying, there's an answer and his name is Jesus. We're not called to be the light of the church, we're called to be the light of the world. And what we need to begin to do is take what we learn, take what we encounter and experience here in this atmosphere and apply it to our job, apply it to our career, apply it to our place of employment. And so what, what we're doing over these three or four weeks during this series is we're going to begin to take some of these principles that I've learned over my, my, my time being in finances, my time being in business, taking scriptures that are found in the Bible that actually pertain to how you manage your money. Did you know the Bible actually talks more than just about giving? than just about tithing. It talks about managing and stewarding your money well. It talks about budgeting, it talks about debt, it talks about investing. It actually talks about all those different things in scripture. And it's important for us to learn about them so we can apply them to our lives. Amen? Your finances, there's a battlefield upon them. And oftentimes you and I are losing on that battlefield. Maybe we give, maybe we tithe, but we struggle with envy, we struggle with jealousy, we struggle with fear, we struggle with pride when it comes to our money. We struggle with bitterness, the Lord didn't answer my prayer the way I thought he would. We struggle with envy, I've gotta have what I need so that I look as good as the next person. We struggle with fear, if I give too much away, will I have anything left over? That even though we may give, we might be losing on that battlefield of our finances. And God wants you and I to be victorious. He doesn't want us to be victims in life when it comes to our money. But he wants us to be extravagantly generous. He wants us to be really good stewards. And oftentimes we think that we just need to be generous. 
but generosity stems from good stewardship and accumulation. How can you give what you don't have? If you don't steward well, if you don't accumulate aggressively, you won't have anything to give. And so when we want to be like Jesus, who is the ultimate giver, who the verb of the Bible is basically give, when we want to be like him and take on his nature, we've got to have space in our life to give. Amen. Amen. So you should be at Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, verse 10 through 12. And it says this, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, everybody say unrighteous mammon. Who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? So verse 10 then, let's read verse 10 again. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. We talked about this briefly last week. More money is not your solution. Right. Amen. More money is not your solution. If you can't be a good steward with little, you won't be a good steward with much. I work with people all the time who make millions of dollars a year. Millions of dollars a year. And oftentimes they struggle with the exact same issues that somebody making $50,000 a year struggles with. More money is not your solution because the same problems, the same issues that you have making little will follow you when you make much. If you can't be faithful with little, why would you be faithful with much? The next verse, you can leave that ver- those verses up there. The next verse says, therefore, if you have not been faithful, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? What's the unrighteous mammon? Money, possessions, the natural. If you can't be faithful in what your income is, if you can't be faithful in the possessions you have, your car, your house, the things that God has entrusted you with, if you can't be faithful with that, why would you be faithful with true riches? What's true riches? True riches is what's eternal. True riches is a healthy marriage. True riches riches is health. It's good kids. It's seeing people get saved when you tell them about Jesus. It's praying for somebody and they get healed. It's walking in the prophetic. That's true riches. And God's saying, I'm training you for the true riches with your unrighteous mammon. So oftentimes we look at our income, we look at our money, and we think, this isn't a big deal, I'll just make do, because all I care about is the really good things of life, but God's actually telling you and saying, if you want that, if you want the true riches and the things that are eternal, steward well the unrighteous mammon. Steward well the unrighteous mammon. Too often, through ignorance, through laziness, through uh, uh, lack of education, or just not knowing what to do, or stress, we aren't very good stewards of our unrighteous mammon. And oftentimes we wonder why we don't receive the true riches. It's because we've continued to circle the same mountain like the Israelites did for 40 years, dealing with the same problems year after year after year. That today, that during this series, that you can actually take biblically sound financial principles in your life, how to steward well the unrighteous mammon so you can receive the true riches of life. One of the things that oftentimes we face with unrighteous mammon is this, is that we're constantly looking at other people and being envious of what they have. We look at them and we've created this picture and to say, hey, if only I could get all those things, I'd be happier. 
and we look at what they got and so we begin to make bad, we begin to buy the car we shouldn't buy. We begin to buy the house we shouldn't buy. We begin to make go on the vacation we shouldn't go on. Why? So that we can begin to have an image so we can begin to compare ourselves better to the person next to us. Like let me say it this way, social media is not real. Like have you ever seen somebody that you like in person for the first time you'd only ever seen on Instagram and you're like you've been using a lot of filters because you did not look that way on Instagram. I have a lot of filters on there, right? Right, Inst like Instagram isn't real. Social media isn't real and oftentimes we compare ourselves to the next person. I gotta get this stuff so I can look like them. I've gotta get these things so I can feel better about myself. Or what we do is we look at everybody else's successes and we begin to feel jealous. Oh, they got to go there. Oh, sucks. Can't believe they got that opportunity. Can't believe they got to go on that vacation. Can't believe they got to live like that. Can't believe they get to make that money. Why do they get to make that money? Why do they get to have those things? Rather than celebrating the blessing on someone else's life, we criticize, we get bitter, we get angry towards the Lord and towards them. Rather than celebrating what God is doing, we're so, we're so great to hear somebody who went from making $14 an hour to $18 an hour. We'll applaud that. Hallelujah. You made four more dollars an hour. But the moment somebody goes from making $200,000 a year to $500,000 a year, we're like, don't tell me. Don't want to know. It's going to make me feel insecure about myself. Right? We're really good about when your life doesn't cause me to feel insecure about mine. What would happen if we actually applauded God blessing others around us? If we actually celebrated what God did in their life. And it stems from realizing, I'm not comparing myself to you. All that matters is that I steward well what God has given me. You get to go on that trip, it's okay. I get to go on this trip. Or I don't get to go on this trip, but I'm stewarding well. I'm not comparing myself to other people. Verse 13. I'm sorry, verse 12, it says, and if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? When you work, your place of employment, if you can't be faithful with serving your boss's vision, your company's vision, why would anybody ever want to serve yours? If you can't be faithful serving your boss's vision, why would anybody want to serve yours? Be faithful in Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, it says, whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. You don't work for your boss. You work for the Lord. So act like it. Act like it. Use excellence. Work diligently. Show up early. Do your very, very best because you're doing it unto the Lord. See, oftentimes this is what we do in life. We're like, you know, we want things quickly. Like we're really, really patient for like a minute. And then we're like, where's the fruit, right? So this, like if an apple tree, if an apple tree was planted and then a little sapling came up, is that what you call it, a sapling? All right, perfect. I don't even know. And a little sapling came up and it's like, like six inches off the ground and all of a sudden it bare, bore fruit, it'd fall over and it'd die because its roots aren't deep enough and the, the trunk isn't large enough to actually handle the fruit. What that tree needs to do is it needs to grow, it needs to get bigger, the roots need to go down, it needs to come up, the, the branches need to grow out a little bit, and then, then once it's gone through growth, once it's gone down in its growth, then it can actually bear the fruit that God wanted it to have. And oftentimes we're looking at our life and we're like, where's the fruit, God, I got planted yesterday. And he's like, you won't be able to handle the fruit. It'll destroy you. 
If I made as much money as I do today, as uh, 10 years ago, I, I wouldn't know what to do with it. If our church was where it was at five years ago, where it was at today, we wouldn't know what to do with it. If my kids were born at age seven, I wouldn't know how to parent them, right? We need the progression in life to teach us what to do once we get the blessing. And we're so impatient. And so what we do is we quit. We give up. We don't steward. We don't stay consistent, stay steadfast. But God wants you to actually go through a growth process when it comes to your money. Because if you get the answer that you've been praying for before you're ready to handle it, it'll destroy you. So appreciate the process you're in. Value it and ask the Lord, God, what are you teaching me? Because I got dreams bigger than what I'm making today. But I know that God's preparing me today to handle what he's got in store for me in the future. And if I don't steward well my unrighteous mammon when the true riches come, I won't be prepared for it or I won't be able to receive it. Prepare. So today we're going to talk about three specific areas in your life. Very specific. If you've got notes, take notes. If you've got a pen and a pad, start using them. Get your phone out. Take notes today because we're going to get very, very specific. We're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about budgeting. We're going to talk about debt. And we're going to be talking about investing. Isn't this exciting? It's what you all got, you got like woke up this morning thinking, I want to learn about debt. Like it's what we all want to learn about when we wake up in the morning is budgeting. But in scripture, it actually gives us principles in life to use in these, in these areas. So the first, the first one is this, is budgeting. Proverbs 21 verse 20 says this, precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. A foolish man spends everything he has too quickly. A foolish man has nothing left over at the end of the month. Now, when my wife and I, when we got married, we, we both grew up in a family that really valued budgeting. Uh, I shared briefly on this last week, but my parents, they never made a ton of money, but they were really good stewards. And what they had, they managed very well. I remember growing up, coming down on like a Saturday morning before apps and spreadsheets even existed. Not that my dad would have used them because technology and him don't really go well together. But he had his big legal pad and, you know, he's you know, it's with a pencil so you can erase. And he's literally keeping track of where every single dollar went. Every dollar. Where every, and I remember I'd see it every week. He's keeping track of his budget, knowing where every single dollar went. Never going to debt when you don't need to. Always making good financial decisions. And so when we got married... Naturally, we said, well, we want to use a budget as well. And so we began to create a budget and, and actually use the money that we had and told it where to go. We didn't tell our money where to go. We told our money, or we didn't let our money tell us where it was going. We told it where to go. I think that's what I meant to say. Sounded confusing. You got what I was trying to say, all right? And so we began to budget. Even when we did not make much, we still budgeted. We had to make changes. We had to change priorities. One thing that was really valuable for us when we got married was Christmas. Christmas should be six months out of the year. It should be. It is the most wonderful time of the year. We'll still sing Christmas songs in February, and we're not ashamed of it. Joy to the world. And so for us, when we first got married, we were making very little money, but we wanted to make Christmas really special, and we wanted to buy gifts for people. And so we knew how much we needed to save, and we knew we couldn't save it unless we planned and budgeted, so we actually started saving for Christmas in July. That's called planning. It's called budgeting because we knew what we wanted. We planned it. It's like it only happens once a year. It shouldn't surprise you. Like a birthday happens one time, an anniversary. It's just one time a year. Plan. Budget. 
You should never go in debt over a Christmas present. That's called not stewarding well. So we begin to budget. We created this lifestyle in our lives where we knew what we were going to have and we budget, budgeted accordingly. In Luke 14, 28 through 31, Luke 14 says this. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to, unfinish it, not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you. I love that. They'll ridicule you saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about ready to go to war with another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000. Suppose you want to build a house. Won't you first sit down to see if you have enough money to actually do it? Suppose you want to make it through the month financially. Won't you first sit down and actually see if you have enough money to make it through the month? Or do you wait till you get to the day 25 and say, how much do we have left? This is often the conversation that I have is somebody will come to me and they say, this is how much money I make each, I make $4,000 a month. Okay, well, what are your expenses? Well, my mortgage is 1500 and then I've got insurance, which is 500 so I'm up to 2000 Then I've got my, my, uh, my cell phone, so that's 300 so I'm 2300 Then I've got, you know, this bill is 500 so I'm a 28 And then I'm at 600 so I'm at 3400 And then I add another 236 and then another 400 Then there's food, and it's 1000 I'm like, but that adds up over $4,000. they are like, it does? Because we don't actually set anything down. We don't actually look at it. About, uh, about a month ago, my wife and I, we were speaking to a group of people, probably around 400 people in a church, and we asked them, we said, how many people here, out of 400 people, how many people uh, have a budget and keep it? And I bet you 90% said they didn't have a budget. 90% in that room. And I bet you if we took, we took a raise of hands here, how many people have a budget here? I bet you we'd have a similar percentage. 90% probably don't. Now, today... Today, I make six times as much as I did when I got married. Six times as much as when I got married. Today, I know where every single dollar goes. Every dollar. There's no surprise. In fact, I can go back about five years and show you where every dollar went five years ago. That's not control. It takes me about 30 minutes a week. 30 minutes a week. It's called stewardship. It's called being diligent. And as I continue to make more money, I continue to be a better steward because I'm realizing this, the, the weight of how much I have to maybe give now. Stewarding well means being a good planner, means creating a budget. So today what I want to do is I want to give you five steps. If you don't have a budget today, if you don't budget at all, I want to give you five steps. Even if you do budget and you know you need to go back through the cycle again, five steps to create a budget. The first one is this, is thoroughly detail and evaluate your current situation. First one. Gather all your assets, gather all your liabilities. Account for your entire situation. Ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance never helped anybody, you or anybody around you. Don't stick your head in the sand. Gather it all, get it all out there, evaluate the whole situation. Number two, so thoroughly detail and evaluate your current situation. Number two is review your income and your expenses. Understand the difference between fixed and variable. Understand what expenses occur every month and what expenses occur every few months. Your mortgage, your cell phone, your utilities, your car payment, that's a fixed payment. But which ones are variable? Understanding 
which ones are always going to be there and which ones you can really control. Look at your income. If you get paid on commission, if you get paid because you're in a sales job, understand the average. What's the base? What can you come to expect? So gather your income and your expenses. Step number three is identify goals. I'm going quickly through these, but you can listen to our new and amazing podcast and listen to it again and write down all the information. Number three, identify goals. And you'll probably need to pick and choose. But I'll tell you where to start. The first belongs to the Lord. When you're identifying goals and priorities in your life, the first belongs to the Lord. In Proverbs 3, 9 through 10, it says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of any increase. Or let me say it this way, and with the first fruits of any income you receive. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. We've shared this story a number of times, but when we first became pastors here at the church, it was May of 2014, and when we took it over, our income was really low, and we had this massive building, and um, we were bringing in, like, barely what we need. We couldn't even really pay salaries, and about eight months later, so January of 2015, the bank came to us and said, if you don't, if this doesn't change because of your debt-to-income ratio, we're going to probably take back the building because the risk is too great for us. And uh, I remember we gathered together as an eldership team and pastors, and we just began to pray. And we felt like God began to say, will you trust me with the first? Will you begin to tithe? Now, we had tithed as individuals, but we had never tithed as a church before. And we did not have the money to tithe. We didn't. But we said, if we're going to go down, we're going to go down swinging, and we're going to punch the devil on the way out. We're going to give when we got nothing left. And if you look back at our income, from that moment in January of 2015, if you were at our financial review, you saw this. We've been on a trajectory every month since then, every year, continually going up and up and up because we chose to tithe. Not only that, but the moment we chose to tithe, we had not been growing as a church. The moment we chose to tithe, all of a sudden we saw salvations. All of a sudden we saw growth. All of a sudden we saw influence in the city begin to change. We begin to steward well the unrighteous, and all of a sudden we begin to receive the true riches, the things that matter most. See, tithing is 10%. It's not 5. It's not 6.5. It's not 8. It's not 9.5. It is 10 it's 10%. And everywhere in Scripture, the number 10 represents a test. And every time you get paid, you take a test. Will you choose to trust the Lord and understand that with you and him and 90 is greater than you on your own with 100? And what will you do? How will you take that test? How will you pass that test? Tithing your time is not what the Bible's talking about. Tithing is 10% of your income. And what does the Bible say? When you tithe, he opens up the windows of heaven over you and he rebukes the devourer for your sake. It's a biblical principle that actually even works for non-believers. I've sat with many non-believers in my office and they sit down and we go through their life and they begin to say, but I gotta give 10% and I'm like, you don't even love Jesus. And they're like, it doesn't matter. I know it works. We don't understand why it works, but when we give 10%, somehow we make more money. It's a principle that works no matter who you are. And if you read most success books out there, they'll tell you, give 10%. It's a principle that works. It's the kingdom of God working no matter who uses it. But you've got to recognize that God's asking you to trust him with the first. Number four is this, plan to save. It should look like this. Pay God 
pay yourself and then pay others. If you don't plan to save, you will not have money when you need it. Plan to save for retirement, plan to save for vacation, plan to save for Christmas, plan to save for birthdays. However detailed your planning needs to be, plan to save. You need a plan, and you need a plan of your savings. Don't just say, whatever I have left over goes into savings. What will happen is there will be none left over. You actually got a plan. And number five is have accountability. If you don't have accountability in your life, you will probably not stay consistent. You need people around you, and we've had many people that we've met with even over the past few months that have asked for help in their finances, and we've been setting them up with other people in the church who can keep them accountable, who can walk with them, who can encourage them and give them advice. And so if you need accountability in this area, come and talk to me, and we want to set you up with a couple or an individual who can walk with you. So that's budgeting. Everybody say hallelujah. How does feel good? Just feels warm and fuzzy. Number two is debt. I asked the same group of 400 people, I said, how many people here believe that God is against debt? And most of the people in that room raised their hands and said, God is against debt. Now, I am not here to tell you to go into debt, but I'm here to explain the difference between good debt and bad debt. And I want to show you in scripture what God says about debt before we begin to cast judgment on debt. Sound good? Deuteronomy 15, 6 through 8. Okay? Deuteronomy 15, 6 through 8. This is the scripture that most people use when they say that God is against debt. For the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised, and you will lend to many nations, but, notice this, but you will borrow from none. You will rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Rather, be open-handed and freely, what? Freely lend them whatever they need. So if God is against debt, then why would he tell them to lend? God's against debt, then why would he tell them to lend? And second of all, this scripture, they look at verse 6 and they say, you will lend to many nations and you will borrow from none. Verse 6, you will lend to many nations, but you will borrow from none. And they say, that's the word of the Lord. That is actually not a commandment. That is a prophetic word. It's a promise from the Lord that says, if you will follow my commandments, you will not need to, to borrow from anybody because you'll be so blessed that I will bless you and you'll actually be able to lend. You won't need to borrow. See, in Scripture, it's actually saying that you are to lend to others when they need it. Debt is not bad. But there is good debt and there is definitely bad debt. Just like money is neutral. We talked about this last week. Money is neutral. It's neither good nor it's bad, but it can be used for a bad purpose. Debt can be used for a bad purpose. And if you don't have good, the good principles in your life, you should probably go cut up your credit cards after church today. And the argument that says, but I'm getting good airline miles. Stop it. It doesn't matter. Cut them up because you don't have good discipline in your life. And until you can get a good foundation, cut them up. You don't need the debt in your life. But there's good debt. What's good debt? Good debt is when you buy an asset, when you buy something that appreciates in value. What is that? Maybe it's a business. Maybe that's an investment property. Maybe it's a home. That there's good debt. Bad debt is using your credit card to go buy Christmas presents. Bad debt is using your credit card to go put gas in your car. That's called not budgeting. Know the difference, and I'm going to give you three steps. Anytime you need to 
take debt, anytime you need to swipe a credit card, here's the three steps you need to do. The first one is this, is delay gratification first. Delay gratification. Do you need it? The answer is probably no. So don't. Delay gratification. Oftentimes we think we need something, but we really want it, and we can wait. And if we do wait, we'll actually be able to save for it. Why? Because we got a budget, and we're planning to save for it. And then when it comes time to when we can actually buy it, we'll pay cash for it. We won't need to go into debt. So you just got to have patience in your life and delay gratification. Number two is this, is formulate an escape route. You need to know how you're going to get out of the debt you're getting into. Which means this, an interest-only loan on your home is a really, really bad idea. Don't do a line of credit on your house where you pay interest only. There's no escape plan. Don't go into debt without having a plan to get out of it. So number one is delay gratification. Number two is create an escape route. How am I getting out of the debt I'm going in? And number three is do the math. It's this thing we all love, our favorite subject in school, the thing that we all wanted to do when we got older was math. Do the math. If it doesn't make sense, don't do it. Don't convince yourself otherwise. Do the math. If you don't know how to do the math, ask for help because you have somebody keeping accountable, and so you can go to them and ask for wisdom on the decision. Three-step process to go through. And if you want more information about this, come and talk to me because I can probably eliminate 95% of the decisions you want to make and say, that's all bad debt. And I can begin to show you ways where you can plan and save to find good debt and use leverage to make money because God is in the business of multiplying, not just in addition. Hallelujah. So now is number two, was debt. You haven't left yet, we're good. Number three is investing. As I said, God is in the business of multiplication. Let me say it this way, obedience plus generosity equals multiplication. And you're all like, I thought my obedience was being generous. No, your obedience is expected. Your obedience is expected. Your tithing is expected. It's a commandment from the Lord. Your generosity is going above and beyond. It's the overflow. And the combination of the two equates to multiplication in your life. Got real quiet up in here. Obedience plus generosity equals multiplication. In Ecclesiastes 11, verses 1 through 5, I'm going to show you what the Bible talks about when it comes to investing. And why is this important? Because all of us need to see multiplication in our finances. And all of us need to accumulate aggressively so we can give extravagantly and give generously. Ecclesiastes 11, 1 through 5 says this, Cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. Divide your portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. If the clouds are full... They pour out rain upon the earth. And whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, wherever the tree falls, there it lies. He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. We all read that and we think investing, right? Is that what you all thought when I was reading that? You're like, I see it now. It makes all the sense in the world. It's investing, right? Bones and wombs and water and bread. It's investing. Let me break this down for you. Verses 1 through 2. Cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. Divide your portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. So first he's saying invest. Invest, and then it will return to you. Invest in what? Seven or eight different things. Seven or eight different things. Why? Because if you put everything in one place, it's too much risk. Spread out your income. 
and spread out your investments. Create diversification in your life because you need things that have an inverse relationship. When one thing goes down, another thing goes up. Right? If, if, all, if you were a real estate agent and you had rental properties, 0708 was not kind to you. Right? If you were only in stocks, October through December of last year was not very kind to you. Right? So you create seven or eight different things in your investment so that when something doesn't do good, you've got something else that does do good. Or in your income, create other income sources. Verse 3. If the clouds are full, they pour out rain upon the earth, and whether a tree falls to the south or towards the north, wherever the tree falls, there it lies. What's his point? He said, in other words, your investment will come to maturity in time. When the clouds are full, they'll come. They'll rain. Just wait. You invest in a good thing. Just be patient. Don't be anxious. Be patient, because in due time, the cloud will rain. And then it says, whether the tree falls to the south or to the north, no one knows. But one thing we do know is this, is it's going to fall. So what's he saying? Invest in what's inevitable. What do you know that's going to happen for sure? Invest in what is inevitable. We don't know whether the tree's going to fall up or down or south or north or east or west, but we do know one thing, it's going to fall. So find something that's inevitable and invest into that. Number four through five, I can't spend too much time on this, so I'm going quickly. He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. What's he saying? You don't know, the, watch, you don't know which way the wind will blow. And when you look at the clouds, you don't know whether it's going to rain. If you're waiting for the perfect moment, it won't ever happen. If you're waiting for the environment to be just right, right, we want to buy at the low point. Yeah, you won't. You won't be able to time it. So stop trying. Stop trying to wait for the perfect moment, that perfect time just to jump in, just right when everybody else doesn't know. You know because you got the right information. You won't. You won't do it. But here's what you do have. is the God who knows how to form the bones in the child in the mother's womb, the God who knows which way the wind blows, he's your partner. And he wants to do it with you. So you've got the greatest partner you could ever want. And you're wanting to know, well, what do I do and how do I do it? Ask him. This is what I do for my clients. This is what I do at my job. And I sit there and say, okay, God, speak to me. And when I make decisions, I want you to guide me because you're my partner. I want to know where to put people's money. I want to know where to invest because I got you as my partner. Do the same thing for your money. I want to know where to go on vacation. Is that being crazy? No, that's just being a good steward. It's having a partner because it's his money. Last thing is this. Luke 19, 12. Verse 12, Luke 19. It says, therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants and delivered to them ten minas and said to them, Do business till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he, had then, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know how much each man had gained by trading. That sounds like something we just talked about. Sounds like investing. Sounds like multiplication. Sounds like taking something that wasn't yours to begin with. Who did all this money come from? It came from the master. Who does your money come from? It comes from the Lord. It's not yours. It's his. And he's coming back to see what you've done with it. Then came the first saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you are faithful and a very little have authority over ten cities. Notice ten cities. 
And the second came, saying, Master, your mine has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, you also be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Master, your mina, here is your mina, which I have kept away in a handkerchief. For I feared you, because you were an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit, and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, out of your own mouth, I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit, and reaping what I did not owe. Why then did you put my money in the bank that on my coming I might have collected at least with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the miner from him and give it to him who has ten miners because the Lord believes in capitalism. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given. And from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. What's this scripture saying? Is that God looked at the, the three individuals and he gave them each to their own ability. Right? It's not a comparison. It's each to their own ability. And he said, steward it well that when I come back, I can see what you've done with it. And when they, those who steward well, he, he, they doubled what God gave them. What did he give them instead? True riches. Discipleship over cities. That when they begin to steward well, the money that the master gave to them, God gave them cities. He gave them cities. He gave them true riches, the things that are eternal. See, the reward of faithfulness is to share in the king's authority. Write that down. The reward of faithfulness is to share in the king's authority. You are training right now. You're training to reign. You're training to reign. You're training to reign with the Lord. And how is he training you? With your unrighteous mammon. How is he training you while he's gone? What are you going to do with what he's entrusted you with? Because he's coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to say, what have you done? What have you done with what I've entrusted to your care? The man who hid it, the man who hid it had fear. And he had pride. And he had worry. He did not lose it, though. L listen to that for me. He didn't lose it. So some of you all sitting there like, I may not be going anywhere, but at least I'm not going backwards. That's called lukewarm. God wants you to go forward. He wants you to take a step and move forward. He wants to have multiplication in your life. But notice he didn't tell them what to do. They had to take the step. They had to take a risk. God wants you to have multiplication in your life. So he's training you to receive the true riches. Why don't you stand with me? God is looking for partners. And our desire is every single person in this church will begin to partner with the Lord. Every single person. That one person in here would become victim in their finances. That you would budget well. That you would eliminate bad debt. If you got credit card debt, that you would pay it off immediately. You would change your life to get rid of it. And that you would begin to invest and see multiplication in your life. We believe in those so strongly here at the church that last week many of you received this book. We, gave, we bought a book for every single adult in this church. How many people got a book last week? How many people begin to read it? Awesome. We've actually, I, I've had many texts from people already saying I've been reading this book and it's changing my life. I'm telling you, you need to begin to read this book. And if you did not get a book, we've got a bunch of them still at the doors. We're going to give them to you. And each adult, so if you're married, husband and wife, each get one. And begin to read through this book and begin to learn about the principles in scripture 
that God wants to teach you about your finances. If you need help, if you need help, come and ask for help. You think you're the only one going through what you're going through. Most people in this room are going through what you're going through. You're not the only one. Don't let fear and pride prevent you from asking for help. We want to help you. Let me pray over you. Jesus, Father, we ask that Father, you begin to teach us good principles of your word in our finances, that we begin to steward well. God, and that stewardship would lead to accumulating aggressively so that we can give generously. God, that you would come and every fear, every worry, every insecurity, every embarrassment, Father, would just be washed away. The comparison that we have with other people would be removed and we'd begin to find our identity in you. God, that simply being a son or a daughter of the king is all, that's, that I, is all that I need. How much money I have doesn't matter. So God, what you've entrusted me with, I want to steward it well. God, I ask that you just begin to pe give people strength and commitment to stay the course. God, that we'd begin to see multiplication in our lives. That every person in this room would begin to live debt free. That every person in this room would begin to see multiplication in their life. That every person in this room would begin to put you first with their finances, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.